accidentally taped over Cave Johnson's final voice recording and found at the bottom of an abandoned salt mine, it's the RF Generation Nation podcast number 12. I'm your host, Jess. You can find me in the RF Generation forums as Slacker. This is Adam. You guys know me as Man 2 k And this episode, we have some front page news stories. We've got our thoughts on the great PSN shutdown. A Saturn classic returns to the HD era. We've got our latest game shoutouts. And I'll finish with some true stories from the Great Collection Move. New on RFGeneration.com, Game Boy Player Land gets powered up with an article from Noise Redux, in which he provides links for custom levels to the Mega Man remake on PSP, levels that are designed to emulate the original Game Boy release. These are levels that I will be downloading before my trip to Florida. Uh, we've also got an RFG Thanks for April 2011, where we have some cool statistics, including our 4,000th member joining, as well as marking our 7th year's side anniversary. Black Label Skate gives a nice tutorial on swapping Nintendo 64 joysticks. And if you're anything like me, growing up on some Mario Kart 64, you had plenty of controllers hurtled across the room, so that can come in handy. Not to mention all the Mario Party games. I have the glove you could have mail-ordered for that, because I did tear my hand open with that control mechanic, and you'll notice they did not repeat it on any of the other Mario Party games. People say that series never innovated, but I think it's what they dropped that's more important. Mm-hmm. And we've got all these stories and many more on the front page of RFGeneration.com. Well, it looks like since our last episode, we've had, well, for a few episodes, we've been talking about the constant battle between the hackers and the game developers and these companies fighting back and forth, and now here we are. We are in, what, day 20 now? So if you're listening to the RF Generation Nation podcast on PSN, we'll just wait for you to catch up. We, we, we bring up these uh, these news stories, and of course we know they're not going to be current by the time you know, people are able to listen to the podcast, but really it's more about uh, how some of these larger developments affect us as a gaming community at large. And this is right here, that direct application um, that we were talking about. You know, it, It's one thing about the gaming economy and, and hackers and um, lawsuits and all that, but this right here, this is, you know, in a sense, that worst-case scenario. Yeah, this this is completely unprecedented uh, territory that we're walking into. Um, there's been, you know, this is going to do major damage to the PlayStation brand, I think. I mean, there, there's been some stats showing that the the hardware really hasn't slowed down in selling, but it's it's coming down to it's not just the gamers that are getting angry anymore. You got companies like Capcom that are coming out and saying this is hurting us. You got to get this fixed. Although anecdotally, uh, as a person who works in gaming retail, I have noticed a lot more PlayStation Three uh, trade-ins, and it it's cliche, but I, I promise this is how it's happening. People are trading in PS3s and Modern Warfare Two and Black Ops, turning around and getting a 360 and Black Ops and Modern Warfare. It's uh, <laughs> all we need is an extra copy of Madden thrown in there somewhere for that to you know be the, the ultimate modern gaming cliche. But it's true. And realistically, if you have enough buddies who uh, who, who you've been waiting 
to jump on the bandwagon, you know, it's why not? Because at this point, who knows when and how to what capacity uh, the PSN is going to be up for online. You know, they, they say that they're going to return certain services at a time, just kind of testing the waters. But as much as it's easy for a lot of us video gamers, the kind of person who's going to visit RF Generation would whine about the people who only play Call of Duty or only play Madden or that kind of thing. Uh, when you think about the people out there who this is really just what they do for this hobby, and th- that's how they unwind. They come in from a hard day's work. They just want to sit down, you know, blow up a few people for a little while on Call of Duty, and then shut it down. And and that's their entertainment. You know, that that's what they do. And you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. It, it's um, it, you know, we we can talk about how it's a shame that they don't broaden their horizons, et cetera, et cetera. But if they don't want to, you know, if they just it, like sitting at home and unwinding to a few hours of Madden, that's you know. More power to them. And so you're basically killing their entire <laughs> entertainment opportunity uh, when this kind of service goes down. So, you know, it's it's a huge deal for a very large population of the gaming community. And that's not even including um, the gamers who are wanting to play their downloaded titles that can't verify that title online. So, you know, they might have just bought games and, and they can't play them and all of the classics that they're wanting to play that they don't have access to. You know, it's just, it's so sweeping because of that online integration to everything we do from trophy hunting to, uh, you know, to just simply some games that require a sign-on, even disc-based games to be able to play. I mean, <laughs> Gran Turismo 5 reminds you every time you boot up, hey, you want to get online? Oh, we can't get online. You know, it's... <laughs> it's uh, you know, the, the, this really does uh, infiltrate our industry in every way right now. It's not just about, oh, it's a disappointing thing that I can't get online right now and, and shoot a few people with Call of Duty. You know, this is uh, literally an industry game changer right now. You've, there, there's been articles ta- where developers are talking about a loss of millions of dollars, and this has altered their projected forecast. You put this on top of the wake of, uh, you know, the, the disasters in Japan and all of these other things that are racking and wrecking the um, the video game community at large, you know, this is something that no doubt will change the landscape of uh, of people's preferences for for consoles at least in the immediate future, if if not for some the long term future. You brought up getting you know getting in all these copies of Call of Duty and you know at least with Madden you can sit down on the same TV and play together. I mean you know the the loss of split screen gaming is i mean that's going to be felt too to i i would say to a certain extent cuz you just can't you know even if there's a multiplayer game you can still go back and play Madden on your couch with a couple of buddies it, it does seem pretty <laughs> obvious though that there was not any kind of uh, adequate backup scenario or uh any kind of crisis management team for this kind of situation, <laughs> yes. you know that 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 is quite obvious at this point. Especially since uh, Sony dropped the ball with how long that they waited to be able to inform people to the point to where Congress is even, uh, you know, in the states is is getting on their back and saying, "All right, you know, give us the details here because now there's all these lawsuits in question." And mm-hmm. and that's another thing, you know, depending on where, who knows if those lawsuits are going to go anywhere. But if they do, um. What's it going to be? And and here's the other thing: Is this going to mean that uh, Sony re- maintains a uh, a free service because they just rolled out Plus not too long ago and it had a lot of people impressed with it? But now, are you going to have anyone that trusts the free service? I mean, it's not that Xbox I don't Live even, has never 
I don't even know if I trust the pay service at this point. I was all gung-ho ready to go buy a plus, and then, you know, here we go, you know, three weeks after I'm like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get a little extra dough up to get the year subscription, and we're down, we're still down, and it is a huge deal. I'm like, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, I would hate to be the person that shelled out 50 bucks the day before everything happened. Interestingly enough, the, uh, Population of the mag servers hasn't really changed at all. That's kind of interesting. Oh, but yes, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I just had to get that in. But um, <laughs> it's it's not that oh. um, it's not that Microsoft has never had their service down. I mean, they have had uh, up to the point of you know a few day uh, blackouts. But uh, the range and scope of the of the PSN attack is unprecedented. And uh, and then you have the uh, this is, and this is truly uh, a sign of our of our internet age. I think anonymous both did and did not do it. That's the part that yeah. I find. You know, yeah. it, how are you going to prosecute these rascals? I mean, you can track down hopefully, maybe you know, a few of the guys that were largely responsible and whether or not they claim uh, association with anonymous. But just the very fact of this hacker group anonymous where they say they're not centralized they don't have leadership which means how can you have a spokesperson that's kind of interesting but um the fact that they're both denouncing and admitting somebody might have in our ranks done this you know it's well uh, and that's kind of the thing about the whole group is that if, if you declare that you are part of anonymous you're part of anonymous i mean there's there's nothing really that they can say otherwise yeah I mean, so yeah it, it's uh <laughs> If they, you know, if these rascals went after uh, the Xbox Live because they were shunned by Microsoft for whatever reason, you know, who's to say that that we wouldn't have had the same kind of upheaval with Xbox Live? And then you you might have heard an even worse outcry because it's a paid for service. In fact, you know, just raising the cost recently. But there's also if you uh, have kept up with some of the the developer blogs and such uh, on the construction of Xbox Live as well as the PlayStation Network. Uh, Microsoft engineers had said for years that Sony was uh, expecting they were going to be able to pull off all this stuff uh, with networking and that they were not realistic with their expectations. Uh, Home was a perfect example. When Sony first announced how much they were going to do with PlayStation Home, you had some of these Microsoft network engineer guys on their blog saying that they can't do that. You don't have the bandwidth and the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the rendering. There, there's just there's all sorts of issues with you know unless they have some some magical coding that everybody else in the tech world was unaware of. They weren't right. going to be able to pull that off. And and I think that this is perhaps part of the uh, extension of that. I mean, there there was certainly uh, you know the the political factors involved with. Um, and then Linux and everything else, but at the same time, uh, maybe they, you know, maybe they did not have the same kind of security that was necessary. I'm sure that that's that's very debatable uh, from different angles. But this uh, this again, it was easy to blame Sony, but at the same time, that this is going to be from now on the the danger of our our online integration and. You know, we've talked about like the online service before. Imagine in the future if this happens with online, that the gaming console where it's completely streamed, or not even a console really, it's just almost an interface. Uh, you know, with with like you mentioned with PlayStation Three, at least you can still play something at home. Uh, maybe a few split screen games if you want multiplayer or something. With with a console like on Live, you know, somebody gets ticked at these guys. That's the whole service. And, you know, it's it's unlikely that uh, if if a if the online service. The actual online microconsole and stuff. If that goes down for you know as long as the PlayStation Network goes on, you know it doesn't seem like their business model could even sustain that kind of loss. So right. 
you know, this this is um, a foreboding, in, perhaps, of, <laughs> of of our future. This kind of uh, event really has me worried about the pure digital distribution. I mean, I have only purchased a handful of games on either Live Arcade or PSN just because I would prefer to have the disc. I mean, that's a, I think most of the people out there would prefer a disc. <laughs> well, like, you know, we, we've mentioned it before, too. This is where the... Really, this is where the importance of, say, the, the video game museums, like what has been talked in San Francisco and such, this is where this is going to become very important because this really is the, the distribution model that they're, that everyone's citing is the wave of the future. So it, who knows how many years, you know, maybe a few decades it's going to be before, you know, these large scale collections, such as oftentimes what's posted on RF Generation, Digipress, that kind of thing, you know, th- those are, the relics that you, you know, sometimes that might be all you have left to go back and play if, if you have a loss mm-hmm. of an online service. So, yeah, the, the, you know, being able to permanently uh, recapture some of the, you know, some of that, what we would classify as essential uh, video gaming as you go through the years, you know, that that's going to become more and more important in terms of preservation, especially if everything ends up uh, going into digital. I mean, there was, there's been a, a large movement over the last decade for uh, prototypes of older games from you know Atari on up, you know, to, to get those things posted online because those chips are are not designed to be permanent and they're starting to lose their charge. You know, they're starting to the you know, capacitors wearing out. All these things, you know, we're, we're losing games that uh, that no one else would have a chance to play anyway, and they're they're about to just disappear. And so there was you know there's been movement to try to get those posted online to make sure that at the very least we have some kind of ROM or digital copy there some at some point. So that if the physical copy is destroyed, you know we got something there. So yeah, that that, that preservation aspect is going to just get more and more crucial uh, for us collectors as we move you know <laughs> ever painfully to that pure digital frontier. <laughs> <laughs> in other scary, scary gaming news, um, Microsoft just bought Skype, so perhaps in the future you'll be catching this cast on uh, Xbox Live. It, it, I mean, it was sorry. Go on. They 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 say in the press release that they're going to support other platforms in Windows, but everyone's afraid that that means that they're going to that the other platforms are going to include uh, Xbox and Windows Phone, and that's it. <laughs> well, you know, earlier Windows models technically supported Netscape. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I the the they paid more for Skype than any other uh, any other company buyout. I, I believe it was, I, and I'm going to be <laughs> let's look this up before I feel like an idiot. Wasn't it like eight billion? Eight yeah, wasn't it like billion. eight? Yeah. Okay. So I'm so I'm not nuts. I did read that right. Eight and a half billion dollars for a technology that most tech pundits agree Microsoft didn't need. You know, this technology it was mainly a defensive maneuver to keep uh, to, to you know to keep like Google and some some other you know grabby hands from from uh, getting the upper hand with it. And the reason why this is uh, relevant for gaming. To us is that once again it's it's something that like you like kind of like you just alluded to they're planning on filtering this into gaming platforms you know Xbox Live already has the, you know the chat system the the video chat um, 
if they if they integrate Skype into those models and then the phone and all that kind of stuff, you know, that's another huge step for the the complete telecommunication integration of you know that that classic one box it does it all you know you turn your 360 on your 720 on whatever it's going to be then and you know you chat with grandma before you get on your next call of duty you know it, it's that furthering of the one box that was the original initial dream for the the Xbox or the direct Xbox <laughs> uh so that you have that ability to stream everything all in one place so it's again you know it's that that digital frontier of trying to fit everything together. Um, and this is, I think, going to be one of those milestones we look back on and realize this was another big step they were taking to try to, you know, the, it seems unlikely now that the next Xbox system you buy is not going to have um, a further progression on all of that technology of being able to replace, you know, parts of your iPhone and parts of your DVR and, you know, the same thing that. A, Sony's been doing, all of them's been doing, uh, except for Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo's just sitting back and, uh, saying, just, come just, play, just come play our games. That's it. <laughs> you remember the old advertisement where it, it showed uh, the, the two girls, one was a PS3, who was like this yes. kind of heavier set business lady, yes. and and you had the skimpy <laughs> blonde in the bikini, and she's like, I'm fun, I'm the Wii. Yeah. <laughs> It was hilarious, but it also perfectly captured the Nintendo spirit, you know, where people can sit there and talk about, oh, look at your graphics, they're terrible, look at, you know, your online service, it's it's practically non-existent, you know, all this, and, and then you just had the Nintendo just kind of like, but I'm fun! Well, to be fair, I mean, I, I did kind of prefer the Wii graphics in that commercial than the PS3, so... <laughs> wait till you see it in, wait till you see it in 3D. <laughs> Yeah, on your own little personal, you know, six-inch screen. <laughs> oh man, you saw that—the the Wii Two release, yeah, rumored uh, controllers and stuff. Yeah, it. it... <laughs> That'll be a trip if that if that happens. That will be a trip. In the words of Cave Johnson, at this point, we're just kind of throwing signs against the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean, it sounds like they're just. <laughs> Every every innovation that Nintendo's made in the last in the with the Wii and then DS has stuck. The, I mean, it seems like they've had these ideas pinned back for years, and it's just been a matter of waiting for the technology to catch up to where they're wanting to get to where they're wanting to get it, so that they can produce not just a half-hearted attempt at it. Where it just kind of works, but so that so they can actually produce something that produces a a well done, well working product. At the same time, though, you you just you risk completely uh, turning any any reasonable game into into gimmicks. I believe it was uh, uh, one of the execs from Ubisoft that said that. Uh, he sees a lot of PlayStation 3 and 360 ports coming to this new Nintendo platform. And, you know, I believe it. That's that's kind of how a lot of platforms have treated the DS, likely how they'll treat the 3DS, probably even likely how they'll treat uh, Sony's next platform, which also seems to be taking that, uh, let's just cram it full of uh, all this awesome stuff and pray that somebody uses some of it some of the time. 
Um, yeah, and that's kind of how it's, I mean, we really even kind of saw that on the Wii, too, where, you know, we got ports of Okami from the PS2 onto the Wii. I mean, it seems like just, I mean, based on what are the rumored specs, Nintendo's actually going to come out with a powerhouse of a machine. At least until the next PS you know, 4 or what have you. And sure, another but Xbox. You know, Nintendo's trying to jump the gun on this this time where they've been, you know, they haven't been first out of the gate in the last two generations. And now they're looking to possibly launch at the end of this year, if not quarter one next year. Well, yeah, it's like uh, it's like Pactor said, who, as an analyst, I I give him credit for being accurate about as often as a fortune cookie, but he said that he thought Nintendo was completely done because they hadn't released a new console yet. Uh, and I can kind of see, in a way, why he would say that, but I don't, you know, it, until Sony and Microsoft announce the window for their next system, it's still Nintendo's game, in my opinion. You know, I, I think that uh, Nintendo is really, has been in control of what Sony's doing with their portable market with, with the release to the 3DS, especially since sales have cooled. Then again, you know, when you look at the software lineup, it's not entirely surprising. But uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, really the reason why no one's nailed down the official release for uh, the next gen, so to speak. <laughs> it's always funny to toss those words around anymore. <sighs> next generation, but uh, the next PlayStation and the next Xbox. You know, I don't think it seems like Nintendo is really in control now of uh, the time frame because you know they're not going to want to cut each other's throats and they're going to want to be able to show something. You know, like you're not going to Sony's not going to want to pull a six-axis to a DualShock Three. You know. Um, right. Microsoft's not going to want to get stuck with another uh, DVD player. <laughs> you know, it, there's there's a, a tug of war in the tech market, and really that benefits us as gamers because it means that they're going to try to, you know, try to one one up each other, if you forgive me for the term, uh, as as they get close to the release, how they're going to, you know what they're going to release hardware-wise and also, of course, price point. I don't see Sony throwing out another five or $600 console. At least I pray that they don't, because at this point, yeah. at this point, they need to generate all the goodwill that they can. Not that they've ever paid attention to that either, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing is, now that we're... I mean, your, your TV is at pretty much the highest definition that you're going to be at for some time. I mean, we're going to get the 1440s and all this 4K and all, you know, all that kind of just stupidly expensive, you know... Stuff you're, you're, the 1080p is pretty much it's de facto at this point. the The hardware is not going to be what what changes the game. It's going to be, or I mean, I should say the core hardware behind it. The it's not going to be the powerhouse of you know what is driving the graphics. It's going to have to be innovation, and that's I mean. Nintendo started that move by not throwing out the, the latest hardware by but by using innovation and wiped the floor with everybody else. Um, and by now waiting to release their HD console, they can do some wild things with it. Yeah, um, and the way the market's spoken about... Those those innovative control mechanisms uh, really speaks to what what people are looking for in games now. I mean, now you've got this huge casual market that's looking for something mm -hmm. new to play. Everybody jokes about 
how there's no really there's there's so few great games on the Wii, and also how there's practically nothing out for Connect. And yet these two consoles, two systems, have sold better than anything else, you know, comparatively. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's so strange that so many people have bought these things, and yet the universal complaint is there's nothing to play on it. So it shows the hunger there, especially I think for that huge recent casual demographic that's trying to, you know, poke and prod at something else to find that that connects that casual transition into something where you have more perpetual players. Um, I think you're you're completely on the on the dot as Nintendo was when they said, you know what, the you know, better graphics is not going to to last us forever. We got to get something that's going to make that transition for for you know your occasional players to someone who's going to sit in front of a screen for a few hours at a time and play something. I mean, that I mean the biggest complaint that I've heard about that it, I mean that's been out just all over for years now is that the Wii just all it has is shovelware on it. You go back and look at you know the PS2 library as great of games as are on there. There's a ton of shovelware on the PS2. There's there's shovelware on everything. I mean you, you can't you, that's up to the developers. It's not Nintendo producing shovelware. It's third parties, especially with the Wii's dev kit being only you know even at launch only fifteen hundred bucks. That allows anybody to really get in and make a game. Um, I. I <laughs> Just to, I mean, just to imagine what you can do with a, you know, the, the rumored controller having a, a touchscreen, a pretty good-sized touchscreen along with controls. If that's what comes to be, <laughs> maybe I'll finally get that Aliens vs. Predator Atari Jaguar port where I have. <sighs> The portable system with the actual oh. motion detector while I'm hunting. <laughs> I wanted oh, I them to release that, that proto they, for years. I, I thought you were going to say so. that the, uh, you're going to have the joysticks and buttons on the side, but then the uh, the touchscreen in the middle would just be the actual Jaguar number pad on it. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be some terrible shovelware that'll do that mechanic. So we're finally going to get our Jaguar Classics collection. All, all one game of it. There's been so there's been so much demand. That's not true. They had Tempest. I still uh, play Tempest to this day. I said one game. Okay, Aliens vs <laughs> Predator was maybe was not that, as good as Tempest. But. Yeah. Just got one thing before we move on to go back real quick to the Microsoft Skype deal. That means that Microsoft now owns part of the app that runs on the PSP. Well, it's it's not like they're going to be too worried about the fishing people who are out using it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I know so few people who own a PSP who only use it for just the stock UMD games and occasional like video or music. I, <laughs> it's it's so strange that it's just been completely adopted as as the uh, <laughs> the hack tool. It is the hack tool. It is the king of all hack tools, especially and especially when they release the 2000. You double the RAM in that thing; that will do some pretty cool things. I mean, you get N64 games going on it. PlayStation, you know, I mean, it's got PlayStation, you know, games already built into it, but you can actually load your own. I loaded Twins and Odyssey on the thing. 
Please note that RF Generation Nation does not condone any legal uses of PSP hardware. <laughs> yeah. It's almost a good thing we're not more popular so that we don't, we don't get sued nearly as often. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, but the, I mean, it's not like we're linking any of this stuff, but... Yeah, it was the first... Uh, first system I ever heard where people who didn't even care about emulation said, hey, I got a PSP with like you know, 500 games on it from various <laughs> consoles. You know, mm-hmm. Occasionally you'd hear somebody with an Xbox with that, but uh, yeah, the PSP is just like the wonder tool for that kind of thing. And I bet that uh, once the PSP is completely discontinued for at least a few more years, the price on that thing is going to stay pretty high because that's what everyone's going to want to pick it up for. It does have some awesome games in its library, but I have no doubt that in the years to come, the PSP will be largely popularized by you know kind of the more slightly underground community of gamers who just use it to throw all their Neo Geo games on. Mm-hmm. Now you know one other game, one other uh, handheld console that was very well known for emulation, Tapwave Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> Not that anyone knew. <laughs> Well, <laughs> let's let's round out the, uh, the the what's new in in gaming here with uh, just you know th- there's so many releases that come out. I remember in our, our initial uh, podcasts we were thinking about trying to keep up with new releases, which of course now is just a laughable idea. But every now and then one uh, one flies uh, on the radar that we that I just want to mention. They are releasing Guardian Heroes HD for the Xbox Live Arcade, and I am thrilled about this. It is a bonafide Saturn classic. Uh, not the most expensive game to try to go back and pick up for the Saturn, but also, you know, kept its price. And there's, there, there is excellent reason for that, because it is a pure classic. It designed by Treasure. It takes the original brawler-type side-scrolling formula um, with uh, changing parallax levels to be able to go like um, back and forward across the screen. It adds RPG elements while you level up your characters. It has a very distinctive uh, anime style and flavor with cinema scenes. It has all sorts of different endings and twists and variations on how to play through level selection and, and hidden extras. It's got a multiplayer brawl mode where you could originally have up to six people just going nuts on it to the point of where you could play NPCs and villagers who had no real attacks. And even uh, a little bunny character so that you could recreate the Monty Python uh, Holy Grail scenes, which we did in Infamy and recorded it on the VCR, showing my age. Uh, the idea that they are coming out with an HD uh, upgrade to this game is supposed to be the exact original game, but also with the option to turn on some uh, HD filtering. And it's supposed to only pop in for 10 bucks, and I have to throw that out there. If you've never played Guardian Heroes on the Saturn due to you know, that was before you were born, or that it was always too much for you to grab. Uh, download the demo at minimum. I'm going to buy it day one because we still return to Guardian Heroes every now and then and just have a have a blast with it. So I just yeah, read about that, and I had to get that out there as a recommendation. Which sounds like a great transition to our gaming shout-out. Yeah, the scary thing is that you, you said might not have even been born yet. Yeah, the game came out in 96, and that the, the fact that the game is 15 years old uh, and that we may potentially, I have no idea, we may potentially have listeners that are 15 years old is kind of uh, bizarre to me. <laughs> <laughs> and if this is you, 
go to bed. It's past your bedtime. I don't care if you're listening to this at 10 o'clock in the morning. Somebody's watching you. I guess that means we can't say any dirty words anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. We can because they just went to bed. Oh, good. Okay, now we're clear. All right. <laughs> so, what have you been playing lately, Mr. Adam? Well, um, I actually got a code, but I'm they haven't released it yet. I'm anxiously awaiting my uh, Duke Nukem Forever demo to come in. Oh, what about you, Jess? What have you been getting into? Well, my gaming has been very, very limited because uh, anyone who's kept up a little bit on the, the blogs and forums on RF Generation uh, would know I just bought a house. Yay! And I can't even... I don't have the time to get into the sitcom esque nuttiness that happened in the process of me finally getting this home, moving in, and getting set up. But it, it it's the short version is it's been weeks and weeks since I've been able to have access to my gaming library. And so I've been very limited on what I've been able to play. Two things I wanted to give a shout out to, uh one of which is Vorpal, uh V O R P A L for it's an indie game on Xbox Live Arcade, uh, or I'm sorry, um, on Xbox Live. And it is a bullet hell shooter, very simplified, very refined. It's basically you against another ship dodging bullet patterns. The aesthetics are simplified and gorgeous. It uses a very uh, plain palette of like white, black, and red. The, the, the mechanics are easy to pick up and understand, it's a very simple game, and yet it's very refined, very addictive, very fast-paced, and very atmospheric, strangely enough, for as simple as it is. But uh, I highly, highly recommend Vorpal. At the very least, go on the indie channel, you know, the thing that you've neglected once you, uh, you, know, once you got through with uh, I Made a Game with Zombies in it. Go back to it, look it up, and try out at least the demo. Uh, it's, it's a buck, and I, I haven't spent a better buck on a video game since <laughs> RC Pro-Am. So... <laughs> Highly recommend uh, checking that out. The other one, and most of our listenership will probably be well aware of this by now, found Portal 2 on sale. If you enjoyed the original Portal, I cannot see how you would be disappointed. I really can't. It, it, they just knocked this one out of the park. It has the same same kind of deadpan humor, flow, feel, uh twist your head around these these uh, relatively simple physics mechanics to create puzzles that you always overthink. <laughs> um, the, the co-op mode is, in my opinion, just, just pitch perfect with their balancing and, and cooperative elements. Uh, the single player is just completely refined. I, I think it's... It is far, far better than you could expect, a, in my opinion, a, a Portal sequel to be. I remember when we first finished Portal years back, like three and a half years now back, that uh, we were thinking, man, the most disappointing thing about finishing Portal is that, how could they make a sequel to that? It was the, the, it was the right length, the right tone. How could you extend that? It wouldn't really be as good of a game. And I, and I read several uh, gaming journals that, that kind of remarked the same thing. It's like, you know, they, they, they kind of Wrap this up well, you know. There, there really wasn't anywhere else to go with this that wouldn't have made it, you know, eventually get tedious or, or uh, even downright boring at times, if not frust- outright frustrating. Of course, <laughs> these same uh, these same pundits are now the the folks that are saying 
Portal 2 was too short, but, you know, <laughs> I digress. I cannot recommend it enough if you enjoyed the original Portal. Uh, and if you never got to play the original Portal, you should still buy this game. Uh, it's been on sale in various locations. That's why I was able to pick it up when all my other stuff was still boxed up. Um, yeah, definitely gets two thumbs up over here. Voting is finally over for the last caption contest, and now it's been quite a while since we've started, since we first started this one. But um, that's just kind of the way things go sometimes. Had some pretty good entries this time. We had, uh, of course, the if you weren't spending all your time on Animal Crossing, we could have had this done by now. (laughs) Um, We had some pretty good entries. Uh, One I enjoyed was a little adaptation of the unfrozen caveman lawyer uh, bit from Saturday Night Live. Um, but we also had some... Of course, the picture was uh, Rob playing the 3DO. Uh, we had a couple including... That's strange. I wasn't programmed to have feelings, and yet I can't help but be a little furious that I spent $700 on this thing. Uh, we also had one that said, our, if our love is wrong, I don't want to be right. But based on your votes, our winner was Dead Man with the caption, Can someone come press the start button for me? My hands are full. So, Dead Man, I will be getting in contact with you to get your choice for classic gaming ringtone that I can make for you and send to your email. Um, so, everybody else out there, be sure to check out rfgeneration.com for any upcoming uh contests that we are going to have yeah this is part of the uh part of the rf generation nation that we're wanting to ramp up um you know just for some some listener uh interaction yeah (laughs) that's what we do with you people (laughs) and yeah just to have some fun yeah be sure to uh pop into the forums and uh, give us some suggestions or uh you know just just to kind of pass back and forth and now we're going to close out uh, with a bit of a derivative off of our top five. Normally, we just come up with something, you know, quick and pithy out of, you know, five seconds off the top of our head for a top five. This is a list of uh, actual true stories from this crazy move that I went through after I bought a house and uh, transporting, you know, 6,500 video games from one locale to the other. Uh these are the top five ways being a gamer literally helped me move. And again, these are all true stories. Number five, the power was turned off early at the old place that we used to live, and I had to use the Modern Warfare 2 night vision goggles to pack my stuff at night at the house. That thing takes like eight batteries. I actually had to go out and buy a new pack of batteries just to run the thing. <laughs> Also, for some reason, it uh, – I don't know if this is true with all night vision goggles because uh, – well, because I'm you know, I'm, I'm not a drug runner or in the military. But uh, apparently night vision goggles make you see a distance out of like several feet ahead of where you're actually at. So you know, I'd look down and think that things were like way, way out, and then I'd trip <laughs> and fall on something. <laughs> so uh, number four. Apparently, it only takes about 50 boxed Genesis games to crush a mouse to death. I I wish I were kidding on this. I had my Genesis games all in just various stacks, 
uh, in a closet. And um, I found something unpleasant when I was unburying the Genesis <laughs> games. Uh, yeah. You know, as a collector, there's that moment where you're looking at this big stack of games and realizing that you might should never really touch some of these ever, ever again. <laughs> And then you're like, but I, I have a disinfectant and plastic. It kind of, should I? Oh, man. Uh. I wish I were kidding. <laughs> anyway, number three, Mario Kart DS is apparently an excellent method for making sure a three- and four-year-old stay out of the way for backing. My oldest son now has more things unlocked than I do. <laughs> he can, he can, I mean, he, he was <clears throat> an expert at the Wii game before I gave him the DS one. Now... There's no stopping them. <laughs> my uh, my three year old just likes to to turn the system on and off. Apparently, the Nintendo chime is is like an addiction for him. I don't know why. Number two, my new cable guy was ready to give up getting internet to the bottom floor until I told him about our 360 LAN parties, and then after that, he was suddenly ready to drill through block wall to be able to get a signal in there. <laughs> now I have uh, my basement wired up. So I'm pretty happy about that. It <laughs> would have been pretty devastating. And the number one way being a gamer literally helped me in my move. After my tractor got stuck in the mud behind my house, and then my truck got stuck in front of the tractor trying to pull it out, I had to have something to shoot at inside my house for the next several days while it rained and rained and rained and rained. Thank you, Homefront. You saved my sanity and possibly some of my children. <laughs> Speaking of which, it's time for us to move along to. If you have any questions, thoughts, queries, moving stories, personality spheres, or topic suggestions, be sure to post them on our forums at www.rfgeneration.com. As always, you guys can use the site to uh, track your game collection. You can uh, post your own blog, uh, talk with us on the forums. Um, you can also send us an email at podcastrfgeneration.com or chat with us live in IRC in channel RF Generation on QuakeNet. Um, and one more way you can get in touch with us, you can give us a phone call the and leave us a message. The area, the phone number is area code three one eight RFG tip five. That's area code three one eight seven three four eight four seven five. As always, thanks for listening. God bless and game on. And of course, don't forget to keep it on Channel 3.